Our scripture this morning will be from Romans, the eighth chapter, verses 37 through 39. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life, death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And listen to says we are powerless to overcome life's obstacles, that we are destined for defeat. But scripture tells us a different story. As Romans 8 and 9 fearlessly declare, we aren't just conquerors, we are more than conquerors through Jesus. Discover what it means to be more than a conqueror. Well, Romans 8, what a powerful, powerful chapter. It is a favorite chapter of many. I remember as a young minister, I, uh, I would go visit in, in nursing homes. It was kind of new to me and learn how to visit people and, and talk to them. I learned a lot visiting in nursing homes. I even learned how to tat. I didn't even know what tatting was, but I got my own shuttle and learned how to tat. But as I would visit, of course, we'd always spend a moment in prayer, and I would offer to read a passage from the Bible. And at that young age, I was very impressed by the most common passages or chapters people in nursing homes would ask me to read. I expected the Psalm 23 or John 14. But without a doubt, the most common passage I was asked to read was Romans chapter 8. I thought that was very interesting as a young man and minister because to me, the chapter in Romans that was really speaking to me at the moment was Romans 7 about that struggle. Who's going to save me from this struggle with sin that I have? What a wretched person I am. But in those nursing homes, as people were coming to the, to the place in their lives where they could no longer care for themselves and to do the things they once did, Romans 8 was their passage of comfort. And the more mature I become as a person and as a Christian, I think I'm, I get it. And maybe this is one of your favorite chapters as well. And I appreciate Randy for for bringing this chapter to a, a series like this and for allowing me to speak today as we wrap up that series on if God is for us as we look at Romans 8 31 through 39 Romans 8 and especially this this passage is like a towering mountain that looms high above all the the hills that surround it it is, it's a place where our hearts can go and look about us and discover what God's grace and the impact that it has on our lives. It lifts our hearts so that we can see the grace of God. We've all had struggles in life and struggles that were very impactful and very important to us. In fact, I'd invite you just in your own mind, if, if when I say what's one of the struggles you've had in your life at some point, to think of one or two of those. I mean, does one or two just kind of come forward to your mind? Be, Maybe it's just something that's been recent on your mind. While you're thinking about that, I'll share one of, one of mine. Early on in our marriage, Brent and I struggled with infertility. For a five-year period, we weren't able to have children. And I want you to know, I'd already been through some difficult things at that point. But for some reason, to learn that things are kind of out of your control and to hear advice from others that was totally worthless 
and hurtful and harmful? Relax. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Don't tell me it's all because of the stress I have in my life. But you know, anyway, I'm just telling you, it was embarrassing and it was hard and it was one of the most difficult things that I've ever been through. And quite frankly, if that happens to be where you are right now, you're not alone. I'm not going to ask you to do it, but I could ask people to raise hands, and you might be surprised at how many of us have struggled. And those who have, you get what I'm trying to say. So that's just one of mine. How about you? What's one of your difficult moments where you really struggled with your Christian walk and with life and what it meant? Now, I'm going to ask you to do this if you want to. You don't have to. But I'm going to list some categories. And that struggle that you, you thought of, if I mention a category that that fits or if it makes you think of another one, I want you to raise your hand. And here's why. So that you'll connect. But more than anything else, so the people around you can see that they're not alone, that there are others that kind of connect with that. So here's some categories. And if that is one of yours, your, your uh, struggle fell in that area, just raise your hand. How about a health crisis? I just mentioned one right there. How about a um, struggling with your career or a struggle in the workplace? <laughs> I raised my hand. Sorry, Randy. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> no. Actually, you know, we know what that means. How about uh, the lack of a meaningful relationship? I mean, you wanted a, a good friend or you wanted someone in your life and they weren't there. Or a struggle with a meaningful relationship in your life, family, spouse, Friends, there's financial difficulties. There's a personal failure. There are all kinds of struggles. Death, emptiness. And in all those struggles, what you have is, a, is difficult times in your life. Something that came up and caused you to stumble and fall. And yet, Romans 8, especially verses 31 through 39, take us up on the mountaintop from which we can view all those struggles and all those difficulties. And what it calls us to see is a perspective over those challenges, the perspective of God's grace and what it means in our life. And I want you to know, when I was going through those struggles, the, in times of struggles, I found myself looking for two things. I was looking for somebody to help, and I was looking for hope. Help and hope. That's what I needed, and that's what I wanted. And I would oftentimes look for those closest to me, to the people who were closest to me, to give me help and hope in the hard times. So just as an aside note, what does that tell you about the people you should keep close to you? Those close to you should people who, be people who can help you and give you hope in the challenges of life. I don't know who those people are for you, but I imagine they're on your close list, some of the people nearest you. Maybe it's your, your parents or maybe a sibling. <laughs> some, some, some of y'all are thinking, no, my brother or sister, uh-uh, no, <laughs> if you only knew them. I just want you to know, for those of you who have, have siblings that are kind of younger as you grow, and, and those of us older, hopefully we've seen this, but a, a brother or sister, and I, of course I'm talking about a brother and sister that is a good person, they know us like no one else does. In fact, when I hear of a, of a person that's entered into a relationship with somebody else and it's getting pretty serious, I, I love to hear what the parents think of that person. But if it's a, a girl with a guy, you're never going to find a dad that likes that guy. So, I mean, you can try, but it's not going to happen probably. What I want to know is what does their brother or sister think about that relationship? And it's not just with people who we date or build, it can be with our friendships. 
And so if you have siblings, I hope that you will listen to them and let them speak into those relationships. But I'm just saying, who are those closest to you that you can go to? Friends, coworkers, a spouse. And as we age, it might even be our own children as they mature and grow up. But of all those that I listed, and that's a pretty impressive list of people that are close to us, I left out the most important one. And the closest to us is God. He knows us best. He created us. He made us. He knows us in ways we don't even know ourselves. And he obviously knows us in ways that no one else does. He is the closest to us, and yet many times we forget, and we don't see it. And it's not just true of us. It's been true of people all all through the Bible. The Apostle Paul is, is speaking to some people in Athens about God. And he uses their worshiping of an unknown God because they're afraid they're leaving somebody out. And he speaks to this unknown God and he declares these words in Acts 17. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our very being. God is the closest to us. That's what Paul's trying to make clear. And it wasn't just Paul that tried to make that point. The brother just younger than Jesus in, in James chapter 4 made the same point when he said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So the question is, are you closest to God? He's closest to you, but will you draw near to him? And because of these two wonderful truths in our lives, God's presence can bring us that help and hope we so desperately need in the struggles of life. What a blessing. Nothing should encourage us more than knowing that God is for us. Romans 8:31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing should be able to discourage us when we realize that God is for us. He's on our side. Do you, you remember uh, back in maybe the elementary days or, or any time that you were picking teams? Maybe you're on an academic team and you want to get the smartest person. You got to pick up sides for spelling in class or something. And you wanted the smartest person or you're on the playground. And, and you knew if I can get this one person on our team, we got it made. Some of your, your, uh, your favorite time of the year is watching the draft. And uh, for some of us, we don't get that. But the, the fun of watching the draft is you know that if this team can get the right person, it can make or break them. It can make all the difference. And there's a lot of truth to that. And God is on our team. He's on our side. And if he's on our side, who cares what others does? The power of God is so overwhelming, it can overcome any enemy. No enemy can stand against it. So the question is, do you believe that truth? Do you? I mean, internally, how would you answer? Do you believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, it's tough. Let me illustrate it with a couple of questions. One of the things the world teaches us is to ask a question like this. What does God want from us? It is a misunderstanding of grace to think about it from that perspective. What does God want from us? 
This passage teaches us something totally different. It is, what does God want for us? That's the proper question. And the message of Romans 8, 31 through 39 is God wants us to be saved. He came, he desires salvation for sinners. He wants to justify and forgive us. He wants us to be on the winning side, and he wants it so badly that he sent his own son to die for us on the cross. Wow. And yet it's so ingrained in us. What does God want from us? Let me try to illustrate it this way. Here recently in our church family, we have had a bunch of babies. I mean, it's good luck, children's ministry. Watch out, Brenda and Hannah, because here they come. Just in the last few days and weeks, the Readers had a baby, the Kings had a baby, the Swaffords had a baby. I heard about the Northcrafts having a baby. There have been a lot of babies. And just yesterday, I happened to be driving by as I was running errands by one of the houses of one of these people, and I just thought, man, I wonder what's going on inside that house. You know, I can just imagine. Inside is a mama or a daddy with a brand new infant baby in the nursery, rocking them, looking at them in the face, thinking, man, wow, I love you so much. I sure wish you'd stop crying, but I love you. And if you've ever done that with your own child or grandchild or niece or nephew or any child, I am telling you, you feel this love This kind of just pours out to those babies, to that baby's What What a powerful feeling. And you see that baby, and did you ever do this? Man, I wonder what you're going to look like when you grow up. I wonder who you're going to be, what you're going to do. And then you thought, you know, I'm going to love you right now while you're crying and doing all this because what I really want from you someday is when I'm old and crying like this, you're going to take care of me. And I expect you to get a good job because these are the things I want from you. That is not at all what you're thinking when you hold that little baby. You're thinking about what you want for them. And in this moment when they're crying because they have a need that they can't feel or they, they have this uncertainty that, that, you, that they don't feel peaceful or calm and you just want to hold them close and hope that they find this peace and comfort and to have their needs met and to feel a love that come in the arms of their parent. It's all about what you want for them, not from you. So let's take a journey from the nursery back to that nursing home. And there you find the same person near the end of their life. Maybe they're in a nursing home or shut in at home. They're in a place where they can't meet their own needs and do the things they used to do or that they love to do. They can't care for others. Instead, they find themselves in a place where they need care. And they don't feel restful and peace about that. In fact, at times they cry out. And God the Father holds them in their arms and he looks them in the eye. And they say, but I can't do the things I used to do. I can't... And God doesn't say, here's what I want from you. He holds them in the arms and he says, this is what I want for you. That in the moments that you feel like you can't care for your own needs, you have pains that you can't even express or understand, I hope that you can find peace 
and comfort and love in the arm in my arms, the arms of your loving Father. Do you believe that's true? I, I do. So if that's true in the nursery, and that's true in the nursing home, why in the world is it not true now? Why can't you believe the same truth for you right now? When you cry out, I'm struggling. I don't know what to do. I didn't do this right. God, what do you want from me in the midst of pain? And God wants to hold you tight and bring you close and say you're asking the wrong question. Here is what I want for you. And that's the message of Romans 8 today. I think that's what God is calling to you. To us, God is for you, and since He's for us, you can count on Him to provide what you need in this moment. Romans 8 32. He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. How will He not also with, with Him graciously give us all things? The greatest need you ever had, I ever had, is our salvation. There is literally nothing I could ever do to make it where I had never done wrong again. And as Rick so appropriately said, God is a perfect God, and I can't get into heaven with imperfection, with sin in my life, and I can't get rid of the sin. My greatest need was to have that sin removed, and Jesus did that on the cross. And if God would, would meet my biggest need by sacrificing his own son on the cross, why would I think he wouldn't take care of the smaller needs? Why would I think he wouldn't take care of those little problems? But we want to say, oh, God, God, I know. I've got some big ones coming. I'll take care of these little ones myself. And that's not what this passage says at all. Will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Take care of every one of those struggles. And I know you believe that's true for others, but do you believe it's true for you? You've probably seen this done before. On the screen, you're going to see the same verse, and I took out the word us. And I could ask you to just insert the word me, but I'm going to ask you to do something different if you're comfortable with it. I'm going to, we're going to read this together. You know, we love to read passages out loud together. And I'm just going to ask you where you see the underline, that's where the us was. Put your own name. So I'm going to say, if God is for Kent, and you just you insert your name there if, you're, if you feel comfortable doing this. Let's read it together. If God is for Kent, who can be against Kent? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for Kent. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give Kent all things? You know what I wish I could do is instead of you having to say that to yourself, which sounds a little awkward, I wish I could have said it to each of you, that I could insert your name. Because it's a truth, and it's personal. Count on God to provide. And you can also count on him to protect you. Look at verse 33. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And so what we do, Paul takes us into a courtroom scene. And, and it's our judgment day. And there you have the judge in front of us. God is the judge. And here comes the prosecuting attorney. And that prosecuting attorney is Satan himself. And he, he brings the case. Look at all the things this person has done. He brings all the evidence against you. I mean, Satan knows every wrong you've done, every bad attitude you had, every mistake, every sin. And he uses them to accuse God. 
These are the things this person has done. How could they possibly be called a Christian? And then the judge calls for our defense. And who stands up for us? John puts it beautifully in 1 John 2. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So Jesus is the attorney for the defense, and what a beautiful truth. The devil comes to accuse us, and Jesus comes to, de- to our defense, to defend us. He is our advocate. He's the one that stands up for us. And because we have Jesus as our defense, the cards are stacked against the devil. I mean, if Jesus is on our side, that means we have the defense on our side. If God is on our side, we have the judge on our side. <laughs> and if you've got the, God, the judge and the, the defense attorney, and the price has already been paid for your sin in the life of Jesus Christ, Satan has no chance. He doesn't have a case. So why doesn't he give up? I mean, the victory is won. Why doesn't Satan just give in? Well, I can't win this case. No, he still goes around and accuses us and tries to make us feel guilty. But God is for us. Jesus has died for us. So instead, what we should feel is forgiven. We should count on God's forgiveness for us. Verse 34, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Christians, I mean, you and me, we are not perfect. We are forgiven. We are. Jesus did not condemn us. Instead, he died for us. And because of his forgiveness... And Jesus interceding for us, we can be with God. I mean, remember the first verse of Romans chapter 8? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand as ones, as believers, who've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism, as one not condemned. That does not mean we're perfect. I mean, we still sin. We make mistakes. But the judgment has already been paid in the blood of Jesus on the cross. So I can count on that forgiveness. I can count on God's forgiveness in Jesus. And that is grace. And that changes everything. Because of that forgiveness and that grace, God can be with me. And I can be with him. God is with us. And so Paul continues in Romans 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? I mean, we can always count on God's presence in our life. He is with me. In him we move and live and have our very being. Our struggles, whatever they may be, cannot separate us from God. God is with us. So he continues, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I mean, he's talking about some difficult things. Will these, these stresses of life all come together to break us and separate us from God? 
mean, would they all build up in such a way as to build weakness in us and cause us to fall away? Sometimes the world, and maybe even we, think that if we're good Christians, bad things don't happen to us. And if bad things happen to us, and if we struggle with sin or with, with challenges of life, then what's wrong with me? By the way, this is not a new feeling. It's always been there. Do you know the Apostle Paul, the detractors of him, when you kind of read through his letters, he tries to make a, a defense of his right to be an apostle, a disciple, an apostle of, of Jesus of Christ and his dissenters are saying you aren't really an apostle because look at all the bad things that go, happen to you all the struggles all the hardships that you have if God if you're really God's apostles these things wouldn't have happened to you and Paul says that's not how it goes and so he quotes Psalm 44 the psalmist in Psalm 44 is trying to make a point He's saying, you think that when bad things happen to us, it means that we've been unfaithful to God. And he declares, we have been faithful to God. We have kept the covenant. And then he uses this verse that Paul quotes. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul and the psalmist are making the same point. As believers, bad things still happen to us. It doesn't mean that we don't have struggles in life. In fact, those who suffer, who have hardship, are not the exception, they're the rule. With believers, we have tough times. However, God wants for us, and His presence is with us, so that we can have victorious living. Verse 37, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are victorious. So have any of you ever been on a state championship team? Anybody? Come on. Man, a bunch of losers. No, thank you, you. Thanks for one person. No, I, I know you mean it. Or maybe you're like me. I wasn't in sports. I was in, in band. I mean, I was a little scrawny kid. I tried sports and... <laughs> Yeah, I, so I'm a saxophone player, and I, I went all through high school and college and playing the, my sax. But, you know, so how about you? Anybody else want place first at state? That's what we did in band. Yeah, thank you very much. Actually, I just heard that yesterday at the 2A state championship, our own Katie um, Bosley placed first in the 200-meter dash. She's a state champion. Wow. And what... God is trying to tell us is we are victorious. We are champions. And it, we're not just, we didn't just barely win. Actually, Katie, yesterday at the state, 2A state track meet, not only did she win state, she had the fastest time ever at the 2A state track meet. She set a record at the, at the 2A state track meet. I mean, she blew it away. And what God is trying to tell us is you're victorious. And you blew it away. I mean, it is glorious. It is overwhelming victory that we have. We prevailed completely. And because of our victory, you can count on it. Nobody's going to take it away from us. Nothing can separate us from God's victory. Romans 8, 38 through 39. For I am convinced... That neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, 
nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if, Mike had had, if, if Paul had had a microphone, it would have just dropped to the ground. He is saying that as powerfully as he knows how. So I told you I was in band. Then some of you might have been in band or music. You know the di- dynamics, the different signals, like a P, kind of the little italic P, piano, that means soft. And, and two is pianissimo and, and, and on. And then you have MP, which I always said medium soft, but I know it's mezzo piano for all you purists. And then you have the MF, mezzo forte, and then forte. There you go. There's loud. But a double F is fortissimo. And a triple F is what we always called it, a triple F. But if you're a purist, it's a fortissimo, fortississimo. And if you want to go up to the quadruple forte, it's a portississimo. That's about as high as real music ever goes, although I did a little research, and I came across a ballet that actually had 10 Fs in it, and they said, just hit it with the hammer, (laughs) just as loud as you go. And Paul just wrote a quadruple forte. If you're playing an organ right now, the notes would have said, pull out all stops. And if you're an organ player, you know what I just meant. I mean, you're, you're as loud as you can go. Now, if you want to go soft in an orchestra, you'll pick a different instrument. Maybe a bassoon makes that nice, low, soft sound. You want to go really, really soft. But if you really want to go quadruple forte, you're bringing in the brass. And that, the percussion's going to accompany them. But to make it all the way up, you need more than trumpets and trombones and drums. You're going to bring everything you got. I mean, even that bassoon, you just go as hard as you can go, as loud as you possibly can. Alto uh, flute, bring it. All you quiet instruments, bring it as loud as you can go, and we'll join in with the others, and we'll have it. And that's what Paul just did. He went as loud and declared it as much as he possibly can. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Paul is convinced that we are secure in Christ. I mean, he starts Romans 8 with these words. There is, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he ends the chapter with these words. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what does that bring? What's the message? It's pretty clear. Nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. And yet we have a hard time believing that. So let me try again. Nothing can make God stop loving you. Nothing. No sin, no struggle, nothing can make God stop loving you. It's still tough, isn't it? One final time, let me try it this way. Nothing you ever do will make God stop loving you. God will never love you more or less than he does right now. God is not looking for things from us. He is for us. And he wants us to know that he holds us in his arms when we cry. 
And when we mess up, and he tries to bring comfort, and he can do this through Jesus Christ. Wow. <laughs> I got nothing else. It's just, can we live it? Hey, we're fixing to sing a song. Actually, Jason's fixing to lead us in softly and tenderly. So I went from quadruple forte to a softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. But may it echo loudly in your hearts. For those of us who are believers and we're struggling right now, we get it. Everybody in the room gets it. They understand. Feel free to come down. We'd love to surround you with prayer right now. We have a couple of shepherds and their wives that will be in the parlor. If, you, if you'd rather have a more intimate setting, go there and they, they would love to pray with you. But friend, if you've never put on Christ in baptism, Paul just described what's on the other side of that decision. I want you to give your life to him in the waters of baptism. Have your sins washed away and live that new life. Do you believe? Then become a believer. If you'd like to respond publicly, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.